By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name that the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. This is God's word. morning everyone it's great to excuse me there we go it's great to see you all here this morning uh thanks for joining us whether you're here uh in the worship center or down in the venue or joining us online we're uh, we're grateful to to be able to worship with you all today before we jump into the text i just want to say uh, a quick thanks to brianna hall she has been leading our uh, our worship services over the summer as our worship pastor logan lindahl has been on sabbatical so brianna stepped in and, and has just done a wonderful job leading us in worship every sunday uh this is a big job takes a lot of work and so uh if you see brianna in the hall or something like that say thanks and she'll still be serving with faith she'll actually lead our our venue live services uh co- coming this fall uh, and so thank you so much brianna for for all of you on the summer thanks <clears throat> Well, um, I'd like to start off our time in the Word uh, just with a little bit of transparency. Uh, Usually when I preach, uh, I do so on topics. Goodness gracious. Usually when I preach, I can talk. There we go. Try that. Most of the time when I preach, I do so on topics uh, that I have some confidence in, that or passages I feel like I've I've studied well, and in my personal and my my, my personal study and, and just devotional and disciple discipleship life, um, I've got a certain level of understanding and expertise. Uh, however, every once in a while, I come before you on a Sunday morning and try to guide you in understanding truths that I'm still very much in in the process of understanding for for myself. And I want you to know that what I share with you today is still very much still fresh on my heart. It's it's still doing work on my own soul. Um, Because I'm a believer in in the power of Scripture and that this really is God's word for us, I I don't have any fear that what I bring to you isn't going to be true because God gave it to us. It is going to be true. But I thought it was important for you to know that I could just as easily be sitting next to you this morning, side by side, and learning from this word uh, together. And so I just want, want to you know, beseech you for your grace and just understanding that we're going to be working through what we, what we see here together kind of at the, at the same rate. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Steve called me into his office and uh, he wanted to talk about the preaching schedule and what I'd preach here on, on the Sunday. And he said, you know what, why don't you, uh, why don't you just pick something that you're interested in, whatever you're passionate about lately, whatever you've been reading in scripture that, that has caused passion to rise up in you, why don't you just pick, uh, pick to preach on that? And I, I told him, cool, yeah, I, could, I can do that. that. That didn't sound like too much of a problem. Uh, but the problem was that, that there was a problem that deep in my heart, as, as Pastor Steve said, that anxiety kind of began to blossom and grow. Because to be perfectly honest, lately, uh, I have not found that much about my life, and, and, and especially my spiritual life, uh, particularly inspiring or, or interesting or, or, or causing a lot of passion. In fact, I can sum up most of what I've been feeling in my life with just one word, and that word is exhaustion. Exhaustion. I'm just tired. I am tired, and I have not been able to figure out how to find some rest. 
Now, part of my exhaustion is just the season of life that, that, that my family is in. We just bought a house, first time, first time buying a house, so we went through that whole process. And now, you know, we've painted, we've prepped, we've moved in, we're unpacking boxes, we're getting rooms set up, we're trying to figure out why the, the electricity on half the house has mysteriously disappeared. It's 116 years old, so that's part of why it's mysteriously disappeared. But we're, we're working through that issue. And then, of course, there's the state of the world. We're a year and a half into pandemic living, and it seems like it's going to continue on for a little bit longer. There's economic strain and political upheaval. We've, we're facing the ugly, ugly realities of injustice every day, and all of that comes with its own pressures, and then you add on the pressure of trying to be a good follower of Jesus during this time and figure out what it means to love our neighbors and, and be kind to one another as we work through these issues at the same time. And uh, most days I feel like my to-do list goes to, that never gets to go to, to got done before more to-dos get added to that list, and, and half a dozen tasks or events or, or commitments get added to that ever-growing list of responsibilities. And, uh, and perhaps you're familiar with all these feelings. You know, perhaps you felt uh, the, same, the same way and maybe even feel a tremendous amount of kinship with me when I recite what seems to be our cultural mantra, which is that I am tired, but I have to keep going. And I'm tired, but I have to keep going. Pressing like this further into exhaustion for the sake of getting things done has a price. Something has to be paid. Something has to be sacrificed in order to, to, to continue to, to pursue what I perceive to be progress. And for me, the most, most often the currency that I use to pay for this, these getting things done is, is my spiritual life, right? It is my time with God. My time in prayer, my time in the word, my time connecting with the Lord on a, on a deep level, enjoying his presence and discerning his activity in my life. I confess that all too often the thing I cut loose is this precious time uh, before, before the Father, before I'm, I'm going to lose anything else. I still have my faith, but I assume that God's just going to sanctify things in my life as I go. That he'll just approve of things or, or either kind of like retroactively say it's okay if I just do it. And, and later on when things slow down, I'll catch up with him again. And all of this was going on in my head and my heart when Steve said, uh, just preach on something you're, you're passionate about. But the truth is, I, I feel too distracted, too tired, too exhausted to care very deeply about the things of God. And that's embarrassing to admit, not, not, not only as a Christian, but as a pastor. That's embarrassing to admit, but it's, it's the truth. At that moment, I just felt completely depleted and needing, in need of refreshment. So I did what any theologically trained professional minister, spiritually mature person would do to find the answer that I needed to find uh, to reclaim some of my passion. I googled. I, I googled Bible passages on refreshing. You thought, oh, y'all, y'all thought I was good at my job. I'm just another millennial who's really good at googling. That's all it takes. Uh, and so that's how we ended up in Acts chapter 3, all right? A passage that I probably read for the 50th time in my life, the story where Peter and John run into this guy outside the temple gates, and he's, he's been crippled for his whole life, and they speak a word of power over him, and he gets healed, and they go in, and, and there's this big commotion, this big wondrous celebration. It's, it's a great passage, but for the first time in my life, chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 jumped out and just, just burned their way into my heart, where it says, repent then, repent then, and turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And then he may send his Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. You know how sometimes when you're out at a restaurant uh, and they walk by you with one of those like sizzling platters that are going to somebody else, somebody else who made a better order than you did, and, uh, and you look at it and you're like, oh, wait, now, now I kind of want that. That's how I felt when I read verse 19, right? I want that right now. Whatever, whatever it means to have times of refreshing, I need that. 
And maybe if you're, if you're like me, you're exhausted, you're tired, you feel disconnected from God, something has, has interrupted your relationship with him, maybe you also need times of refreshing. The good news is, is that it is a gift from God, and God is, is a loving father who loves to give his, his gifts freely and generously. The catch is that the refreshment that we seek, this rest and renewal that we need, don't come in the ways that we might, might, might think. It's not ultimately about going on a retreat or, or just relaxing while binging your favorite TV show or, or filling out the right sequence of self-help steps, right? Instead, it's going to involve repenting from our wrongs, receiving what God has to offer, and, and finding refreshment from its truest, most, most pure form, which is, which is with God himself. So stick with me, and we'll see if we can find some rest, a way toward rest in this passage together. So Acts chapter 3 began with Peter and John, uh, followers of Jesus in the earliest days of church and Christianity. They go, they're going to the temple, and, uh, and there's this man who's stationed himself outside the temple. He's been there every day, probably most of his life. He's begging for what he needs in, in his day-to-day life, and he begs from, from Peter and John, and they look at him, and they say, we don't have any silver or gold to hand, to hand you, but then they do something surprising. In the name of Jesus, they tell this man to get up and walk. And incredibly, that's exactly what he does. All right, the power of Jesus miraculously heals this man, and the three of them go into the temple, and they're, they're walking, they're jumping, they're, they're praising God together for this wonderful gift. And obviously, this, this event attracts a lot of attention. People begin to recognize the man as the same one who's been, who's been crippled his entire life, standing outside the gate. Now he's walking in with Peter and John. And, and that wonder and amazement fills them. They look at Peter and John as like, who are these guys? How do they have such incredible power to do this amazing thing? And Peter realizes that, that, that the attention's going the wrong way. He realizes that something must be done to kind of course correct these people back onto what they need to, to be really paying attention to. And so in, verses, uh, in, ver- in, in verse 12, Peter starts to give them that course correction where he says, uh, Peter saw, this, uh, saw all this, saw that they were kind of leaning into, wow, Peter and John are really great. And he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why does this miracle surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if it's by our own power and godliness we've made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know has made, has, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that completely healed him, as you can see. Now, Peter uh, declares a couple things, says a couple things in this passage that will be important for us to remember as we get down into verses 19, where, where it talks about that time of refreshing. First, he deflects any attention uh, from his astonished onlookers. He deflects it away from himself and away from John and back to where it belongs, which is, which is with God the Father, which is where our adoration and our intrigue always truly belong, and, and with the Son, his, his glorified, resurrected, holy, righteous Jesus. See, B- Peter believed it was imperative, it was absolutely essential that we get this right, that restoration comes from God. Right? Restoration comes only, really true, deep, lasting restoration comes from God. Right? Human beings might be involved, or we might be blessed to participate in, in things that, that help restore one another, but the source of amazing gra- th- this amazing grace is not from our own works or our own power, but it's, a, it's instead the awesome power of God. It's the mighty works of God that truly allow us to experience restoration. The second thing Peter wanted to be sure these people understood and, 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 and took in for, for themselves and were honest about and really felt the implications of is that when it came to Jesus and who he is uh, they, and who they are in relation to him, they had been tragically mistaken. 
Right? They, had been, they had been wrong, sinfully, rebelliously, horribly wrong about who Jesus was and, and who they were in relation to him and what they needed to do. In fact, so wrong that what they, they instead trusted the world and what they'd heard from others and what their leaders were telling them to the point where Peter says that they disowned the holy and righteous one, asked for a murderer to be released. He's referring to Barabbas being released in, in, uh, at the time when, when Pilate was, was talking with Jesus. Asked for a murderer to be released and then you killed the author of life. Now, the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that God's got plans that cannot be stopped by our misplaced affections or our sinful assumptions, right? God's got these plans that can't be derailed by the things that we assume or, or when we get our affections misplaced, and that is really good news. God raised Jesus from the dead, despite what, what we thought should happen to him. The very name of Jesus is now an invocation of power and strength. Faith in Jesus is something that brings about a transformation in us that the world cannot comprehend. But the disobedience Peter sees in people, he says, needs to be accounted for. And it's the same kind of disobedience that, that still echoes in our lives today. Because our attention is too often drawn away from Jesus and given to the people or the power or the tasks that are around us. All right, and our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's doing in our life gets twisted and warped until somehow we put ourselves in the place of telling God how things are going to be. We want to be the ones calling the shots before the holy and righteous one. Right? And this happens to, to non-believers and believers alike. Non-believers will, will, will hear the words of Jesus, hear the commands of Jesus, and just say, you know what, this, this isn't for me. They'll, they'll continue to disregard him or disown him or, or move on with their lives not accepting his truth. Believers, meanwhile, all too often slip into the delusion of trying to control Jesus. Right? Of telling the author of life exactly how our lives are going to go right down to what we're going to do today and, and just need Jesus to kind of check off and, and, and approve of. And last week, I began to realize that's exactly what I've been doing for weeks, if not months. All right, I've been telling God what my plans are and just assuming that he'd come along for the ride. I've been telling Jesus that I, I really want to be the Lord of my own life and that if he wanted to be this friendly, kind of benevolent advisor, that would be okay. I, I'd be comfortable with that, but that's as far as I wanted it to go. And y'all, I'm I am too small. I'm too finite. I'm too petty. I'm too sinful, too powerless, too broken to be the Lord of my own life. I need the one that God raised from the dead to save me from myself. We, we all need the holy, righteous, incomparably wondrous Jesus to be the rightful receiver of our adoration, to be our true guide, to be our Lord and our true King. And God be praised, that's exactly what he promises to do. This past week, my, my weary and wayward spirit hung tightly, ragged, but tightly onto the words of Peter from Acts 3, starting in verse 17 where he said, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold you in the prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So Peter acknowledges to the people that they were not fully aware of what they were doing. They didn't, they didn't fully understand the choices they were making when they rejected Jesus and demanded his execution. But he also doesn't say that their ignorance saves them from, from their guilt. All right, And whether our sins come from ignorance or willing disobedience, there has always only ever been one source of salvation. And that is the sacrificial suffering, the loving sacrificial suffering of Jesus, the promised Messiah. Where, where, where the Old Testament prophets tell us in, in Isaiah 53, where it says, Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. 
Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord laid the iniquity of us on him of us all. The Lord laid the iniquity, the wickedness, the sin, the gross injustice, the audacity. He laid all of that on Jesus. Our, our all too often habit and obsession and desire of turning away from God, he laid the responsibility of that on Jesus to suffer and bear and overcome on our behalf. And what is left to us, what is given to us, what is unbelievably yet assuredly offered to us is peace. A way of reconciliation with our God. The work is already done, the price is already paid, and all we need to do is follow Peter's instructions in verse 19. Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Repent, receive, refresh. Three seemingly simple commands for us to follow in order to get back to this peace of the Lord. Repent, receive, refresh. Now, repentance being the first step on this list toward this time of refreshment was, was surprising to me, honestly. It hit me pretty hard this week because I don't often think of repenting as a way of establishing peace in my life. All right, I'm more likely to think of things like good books or long naps or walks in the park uh, or the sweet bliss of doing absolutely nothing. I love doing nothing. But calling for repentance as the first step toward peace reveals something that I believe I've forgotten that all too often we all forget about, about our sin, about the anxiousness and the confusion and hardship that overwhelms us, is that its, its source is often caused by our sin, right? The root of our peacelessness is often godlessness. And so if we want to take part in God's times of refreshing, we've got to be honest about our own disobedience, to repent, we must call out our sin as sin and be truthful about what it is and commit uh, to, to changing ourselves, to changing our ways, to turning back to the Lord. All right, we can't surround our sins with like spin or, or try to minimize it or, or explain it away with excuses. We, we confess chiefly to God, but also to others what we've been doing wrong. We open ourselves to accountability with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we humble ourselves to correct our wrongs, and, and, and we answer for the pain and suffering we may have caused people, even if answering to that has consequences for us. We do these things in the process of repentance. For many, repentance will be the hardest step on this journey towards times of refreshing because it demands the most of us, and it doesn't always come all at once. I spent Several days last week, looking over this passage and thinking about it for myself in my own life, I spent time in prayer asking the Lord to help me diagnose kind of what's been going on. And honestly, that process is ongoing. But by the grace of God, I have this assurance that I feel like I'm on the right path of adjusting my life and adjusting the things that are going on and turning back to the Lord. All right, that surrendering things like busyness and success and my, my filled-to-the-brim days and my cheap, lifeless relaxation and numbing tactics, releasing those to the Lord are going to make room for something even better. They're going to make room for what I really, truly desire the most, which is time with Him, which is actually connecting with God in a deep and meaningful way. And the question I would ask all of you who, like me, are, are feeling worn out is simply this. What may have happened in your life or what's going on in your life that has drawn your attention away from the Lord? That is drawing you, that is pulling you away from, from, from actual quality good time with the Lord, from, from spending meaningful moments with him? What has caused you to rebelliously place yourself 
in the, in the place where the, only the Lord should occupy, where now you're, you're thinking about it as him serving you instead of you serving him. Identifying these things might be hard. It might hurt. The cost of turning away from them in order to turn back to God might seem too great. But the promise here is that we can trust that it will be worth it because of what comes next. Receiving the forgiveness of God. Receiving the forgiveness of God. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. The word wiped out there is from a, a Greek word that was often used to describe the process of washing ink off papyri or the, or the paper of the first century. So you could actually wash uh, that ink away. So the ink didn't, didn't seep in and actually become part of the paper. It remained on the surface and therefore it could be removed. It could be, it could be replaced. It could be erased and obliterated. The parchment could be made clean again, ready to take on a new message. And so that is the gift that God offers you in relation to your sin. He can remove it. Your actions have not permanently altered your being. The forgiveness offered through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus can wash you clean and prepare you to carry God's new word with you on your way through life. And this is something God does for you. Your action, your effort, your strength, your power is not required. And be thankful for that because otherwise you would fail. What is, requi what is required of you is this. You have to believe that God really can do this, really wants to do this for you. You have to trust that God really does want to forgive you, to wipe clean your soul, to make you ready to be something and someone else entirely different than you were before when you were a slave to your sin. So here I'd simply ask you, do you actually believe that you're forgiven? Do you actually believe that God wants to forgive you for the sins in your life? It can be surprisingly hard, surprisingly hard to accept that God wants to forgive us. Sometimes I think about how how often I go back to, to the same sin or how far I've been, been gone, how, how much I've um, <clears throat> strayed away from him, how much I've diminished his voice or ignored him or, or, or ignored his commands. And I wonder, can God really want to make a way for me to come back? Can God really want to make a way for me to be right with him again? Is he really going to do that, do that for me again? <clears throat> remember that in our passage, the Peter's, where Peter offers this incredible gift, uh, remember who he's talking to. In the passage, he's addressing a crowd that he has just accused of participating in the murder of the Son of God. And their voices, just a few days before this, had been shouting in anger and demanding violence upon, upon the life and the body of the Lord of life. And to these people, forgiveness is offered. To these people, life is restored and a loving relationship with God is restored and made possible through the power of his resurrected Son. Like these people, our rebellion can be resolved. Our anger can be eased. Our sins can be forgiven. Our mistakes do not have to define us. I am not defined by the exhaustion that I feel from the things that I am led to do. I am not defined by all that I have done or accomplished, and I am not defined by the things that I have failed to do, and I am not defined by the sin of moving God to the background of my life. I am defined by his forgiveness. And by that amazing grace, I am led into his presence. And it is that presence that is finally where I experience the times of refreshing that I so desperately need. If you were to look back through this passage, you'd see that time and time again, Peter urged people to shift their focus to Jesus, to move toward him, to move toward admiring him, embracing him, believing in him, and longing for him, even waiting for his promised return. And there is a reason for this hyper-focus on Christ. He is the refreshment that our souls long for. He is the refreshment and the rest that we need. He is the peace that we're actually searching for. 
throughout all of scripture, God is constantly offering peace and rest to the human race, to, to, to all of us, to those who follow him, because he knows how badly we need it. Or he knows how our sin depletes us. He knows that our worst habits, the, the, our, the very worst habit we have of wandering away from him, it makes us weak and weary. And so time and time again, he promises refreshment, not from, from taking on some sort of activity or trying some new thing or, or finding some special, uh, special thing that's going to help us. His promise of refreshment comes from being in his glorious presence. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths will grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Jesus echoes a similar, uh, a similar uh, uh, heart behind the, uh, a similar heart is behind his words in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I was little, I used to stay and help my dad uh, after church uh, pack up the church. We, our, our church in its earliest years was uh, in school buildings. And so we'd go in, we'd set up, and then we'd, unpa- and we'd pack it all up at, at the end of the day and do it again next week. And so I used to stay and help him uh, uh, pack up. And one time, uh, I was wandering the hallways doing whatever, and uh, I, got, I got lost and actually got trapped in a stairwell, a stairwell I'm sure I wasn't actually supposed to be in. Um, but I got trapped in there, and I couldn't figure out how to get out, and I, I think I spent like 10, 15 minutes like going up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs, trying to figure out what was going on. If memory serves right, I was pushing on a door I was supposed to be pulling, and that's all that actually had to happen to release me. Um, but so I, I finally figured out how to get out, and, and I start wandering back into the more familiar parts of the building, but, but being out of the stairwell and even being in places that I recognized wasn't what brought me peace. Right? I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel safe again until I saw my dad until I got back into the presence of my father. That's when I felt like I was safe once again. Times of refreshing in the Bible that the Bible promises, the times of refreshing that God promises have nothing, have nothing to do with finding a better way to relax or finding our way out of a tough situation. Everything about true refreshment comes from being in the presence of God. All right, it comes from our intimate, meaningful, quality time spent with Jesus. You and I were made to be in the presence of God. You and I were made to be with God and with our longing for him is embedded into our souls. True peace cannot be found apart from him. We will never be satisfied with the rest that this world can offer. Now, don't get me wrong. It's okay to enjoy the world around us. Right? You can, you can, in appropriate ways, you, you can definitely enjoy what, the beauty that God has given us. You can take vacations. You can watch hilarious movies. You can get delicious tacos with your friends. Right? You can read a good book. You can fall asleep while pretending to read a good book. All of this is good. All right? You can take care of yourself, and that is a good thing to do. But do not make the mistake of so devoting your attention and your affection to these little, temporary, finite things that you fail to give the greater parts of yourself and your time and your love to God. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time walking and talking with God who is your friend and your king and your savior. Spend time figuring out whatever way it best works for you to experience him and then throw yourself into that wonderful connection every single day. Times of refreshing come from time with the Lord. There is no substitute. There is nothing sweeter 
There is nothing more life-giving than being in the presence of God. And so my final question to you is this. When was the last time you felt like you spent quality time with the Lord? When was the last time you felt like you spent true, deep, meaningful, quality time with the Lord? And if you're like me, your answer might be, I'm really not sure. I, I don't quite remember. And I want you to know that that answer is okay. God hasn't gone anywhere. Right? God hasn't abandoned you. We've just become too distracted and wandered off. So let's all together seek the presence of the Lord and worship him. And think about the words in this, in this final song we're going to sing together again uh, here in a moment, where it says, I will lean back into the loving arms of a beautiful father. Breathe deep and know that he is good. He is a love like no other. Would you all please pray with me now? Father God, we long to be in your presence. We long to be in your presence. We ask you for the power, for your, for your power and, and your love to remove any hindrance that may be in our way, including our sins, which we need you to expose and need you to wipe away through the incredible mercy of your forgiveness. Lord, in these next few moments, I ask that you please bless all of us with a clear sense of your closeness to us. Let us know, Lord, that you're here. Let us know that you wish us to draw near to you. And please establish that connection so that we may feel close to you in, the, in these moments as we pray and, and praise you with this song. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.